we actually are going to um, going to do something a bit different. Actually, Josh was um, actually going to come up and read uh, from the gospel account in Luke um, of the resurrection because I I'm not directly actually talking about it. So Joshua is going to uh, read to us from Luke 24. Um, so if you could flip your Bibles to Luke 24, 1 to 12, um, which is talking about the resurrection. Um, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone roll, rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling appearance, and, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to all uh, seemed to them an idle tale, but they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened. Thank you for that. Um, the gospel accounts um, of the resurrection are rather interesting because um, it's an interesting mix to see who elects uh, to mention the angels, for example. Uh, obviously, Luke chooses to mention both um, angels. Uh, other ones mention only one. Um, but what I actually find rather funny about it is uh, rather where the angels say, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Uh, and then... Luke obviously then says afterwards in regard to the women, uh, remembering how he told, uh, sorry, and they remembered his words and returning to the tomb, they told all these things. It was almost as if they'd been told, oh, don't you remember that he told you on multiple accounts that he would rise from the dead? Oh, yes, of course, yes. Um, and then they, off they go. Um, but uh, no, it's a, it's a beautiful account of, um, of that moment when, and notably, women discovered uh, the empty tomb which I'm sure we, uh, or you may not know, um, amongst the you know, first century, especially Hebrew culture, women did not have the extent of equality um, that they do now. Um, and so for Jesus to choose and purposefully choose to reveal himself and this fact of his resurrection to women firstly is a very, um, is a very, very big statement. Um, but tonight, actually, I'll be uh, addressing... Um, the passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, in which Paul is uh, discussing the implications of, of the resurrection um, so I'm not, not going to be particularly coming back to this passage um, but the one question we will be sort of addressing if this will work is is the cross really enough um, Jesus said uh, in his dying moments it is finished um, but is the cross and what Jesus did on the cross in and of itself enough to secure our salvation as an event is it enough the short answer is no the short answer is no 
and obviously we're going to get into a longer answer, but the short answer in and of itself is no. Now you sort of might be going, uh, I thought the cross was it, and it, that sounds a bit weird to me. Um, but I promise you, if you uh, stay awake and stay in the building, you'll find out um, uh, the fact that um, the cross is actually not enough. Um, so I want to read to you now from uh, our primary passage, which is going to be chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, and the relevant verses here are 12 to 14 and 20 to 26. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The first point, the first major point that I want to make here is this. If the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ did not occur, Christianity is pointless. Absolutely, utterly pointless. We are still dead in our sins. As Paul says here, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. It's null and void. We might as well pack up the equipment, go home, if the resurrection didn't occur. I'm dead serious. The resurrection is the centre of our faith. The resurrection is not just another miracle that occurred you know, in the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's not just another happening. I want to pose to you that the resurrection is the very centre point of world history. The very centre point. Because what do we see after the resurrection? We see an almighty shift in sociology, we see an almighty shift in the culture of the first century and within 100 years the Mediterranean world under the rule of the Roman Empire is completely changed on the ground level. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the centre of our faith and we really need to come to understand that. If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. That's, a very, that's another very important point to understand. The resurrection has immense power in our theology and how we live our daily lives also. The second point that I also want to move on to, I'll read from the passage and I'll, and I'll talk about it. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then in his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We have, because of the resurrection of Jesus, a hope of resurrection ourselves. You see, Christ, in his resurrection, the point of the resurrection is it's a, it was a you know, universal and public proclamation. It was God's billboard, if you will, showing that Jesus has lordship, kingship, rulership and authority over everything. Everything. It is the sign that what he did on the cross 
has been achieved. Because if Christ had have just, if Christ had have borne the wrath on the cross and done everything that we believe he did on the cross, but then stayed dead, it would have been null and void. I mean, we sing about how we serve a risen saviour, but it's an, it's an extremely important point about the fact that we actually do serve a risen saviour. Siddhartha Gautama Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. The Caesars of Rome are dead. Muhammad is dead. But it is Jesus Christ, on the other hand, who is alive. And alive today. That's why we see it in the Greek in present tense. It says he is risen. Not he arose. He is risen. It's a present tense. And it's purposely done you know, that way by the gospel authors. They are saying he is risen, not just at that time that he actually physically resurrected, but he is alive and risen today. Now, where does that play into us in terms of hope for our future resurrection? Well, here's the thing. If the resurrection of Jesus didn't occur, there is no hope for our resurrection. Now, you might be talking, now you might know what I mean by our future, future resurrection. You know, we see in Revelation 20, for example, uh, written by John. Um, in verse 6 of that he says blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power but they will be priests of God and of Christ when, when Christ returns there, there's going to be there's two in the end if we're talking eschatologically or in other words about the end times there's going to be two resurrections the first resurrection and the second resurrection and two different groups of people are going to be raised the first people to be raised will be all the saints of all, of all time. Okay, you with me? It'll be all those who have believed, you know, in God, and then obviously after Christ, believed in Jesus. That's the resurrection you want to be a part of, if I can put it out there. It is going to be one of the most glorious events that you can ever imagine. Not that you'll be able to imagine it right now, but it will be an absolutely phenomenal day. And I mean, in essence, it's really, uh, you know, the hope that we have. I mean, yes, we have hope that Christ has cleansed us from our sins. We have hope in, in a wide variety of things, but primarily, uh, you know, for us going forward in our lives, we have hope of what? Life after death. We have a hope of life after death. That first resurrection. There's also going to be a second resurrection. That'll be a resurrection that no one will want to be a part of. That'll be a resurrection of all those who, for their life, rejected the Lord, who went their own way, who, you know, turned unto wickedness and vileness and all corruption, as uh, many Old Testament prophets would put it. And for them, it will be an absolutely horrific day. But for us, we hold a hope because Jesus, as the first fruits, meaning the first person to do so, because he has been the first fruits of the resurrection, we too have a hope of now being raised. Raised not unto condemnation, but raised into eternal life. Does that make sense? It also talks about there, in that last uh, verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I've had um, 
I've had my fair, you know, fair share of experience at, at 20 years of age now with death and seeing death. And um, whether people like to admit it or not, every single person is afraid of death in the in the world, and rightly so. Your death is this entering, you know, for all those outside of Christ, death is this entering, you know, from a life of self into a life of unknown. It's a, it's a massive event of uncertainty. Death is not the natural order of things as well. God created this universe and it was very good. God created this universe free of death, free of sin in the garden. And it was only because of sin that corruption entered as, uh, you know, as Paul says here in verse 22, for all, uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. We were in Adam. We were destined for death, and after that the judgment. We were destined for resurrection, not into life, but into eternal wrath and condemnation. But we now, for all of you who believe in the name of, Son of, of the Son of God, we can have that hope of being raised into Christ, being made alive as opposed to suffering a second death. I'm telling you, church, it's a blessed hope to have. It is a blessed hope to have. It has, you know, an extensive amount of implications, which we'll discuss uh, a few of uh, a bit later. Um, resurrection... As a, as a topic, um, I'll, I'll, I, I chose to actually talk about this point, which I'm about to now, because um, I get quite, I get asked it quite a lot. Um, you know, uh, we discuss it a lot at, at uh, theological college, which I'm at at the moment. Um, but uh, the question or topic is, you know, does the Old Testament talk much about resurrection? Because um, obviously, the Old Testament's covering thousands upon thousands of years of human history, and uh, you know what we have in the New Testament is covering the span of about four, about 40 to 70 years, um, if you like, including uh, the early parts of Jesus' life. And so it's important to think, well, what, what did the saints of the Old Testament times before Christ came to earth the first time believe about it? Um, you'll actually find that uh, the resurrection is actually really prevalent in the Old Testament. Um, and it just shows that how the Old Testament points towards Jesus, how it points towards his resurrection and a future resurrection. So we'll have a look at it. Um, we find in Isaiah 26, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Now Isaiah is writing in the 8th century BC, your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. Like Isaiah is certain it's not they may, it's they shall rise. And then, of course, you know, for those who believe, awake and sing for joy, which we most certainly will. And I mean, we sing for joy now, but we will sing on that great day for an immense joy like we have never experienced before. In Job chapter 19, we see, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I'll talk about it in a second. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I, se- I shall see God. Depending on who you want to say writes Job, it's, Job's written about 1500 to 
1000 BC. Um, you know, I'm sure many of you are aware of, of what Job went through, um, the tumultuous uh, you know, events that um, were heaped upon him um, as a test of his faith. Uh, but he, rest, you know, he rested assured in this fact that his Redeemer lives. Lives. And he equates that Redeemer with God. Now, we obviously 2,000 years after the fact know that that Redeemer is Christ. Job here, yet he may not know the name Jesus or Yeshua in Hebrew, he, he understands the concept. His Redeemer lives, and at the last he'll stand upon the earth. That after his skin has been destroyed, after he has died and perished, he will in his flesh eventually see God through resurrection. Fast forwarding a bit to Daniel in the in the fifth century, oh sorry, in the sixth century, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is probably one of the clearest, you know, uh, illustrations of that point I was making earlier about the two opposing resurrections that will occur. Some to everlasting life, to everlasting bliss, joy, you know, and just resounding happiness in the presence of our Lord forever and eternity, for, for literally timelessness, but yet some will rise, and not some, mind you, many will rise to shame and everlasting contempt. They will rise one day to find that that everything they believe was a lie. And so, for us, we have, you know, we understand that, you know, for those of us who in here who are in Christ, that we will, yes, we will have that everlasting life. But this almost, to me, makes, you know, our mission as Christians uh, on a weekly basis, you know, ever more important. You know, uh, to talk about myself, hopefully very briefly, um, you know, I do, uh, I teach scripture over at Katoomba High, um, you know, I help out with the youth group and whatnot. Um, and do other do other things here and there, um, you know, evangelistically. But the thing that really drives me, apart from, you know, uh, God commanding me to do so, is this: the reality that there are going to be people who will one day end up in hell. I mean, the fact that uh, there is a narrow path and a broad and wide highway should probably tell you about the expected traffic conditions. There are going to be many, many, many. There are many right now. The world is wandering just head-on into destruction as if nothing's happening. They're heading into, you know, without a care in the world, you know, a very tumultuous end in which they will be raised and they will be judged. And so as an aside, I suppose, for us as Christians, this should be a motivator to share the gospel with people. A motivator to tell people about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that he died, took upon himself the wrath of the world, and then not only that, he raised from the dead. He arose from the dead and is risen present tense and that in that they can move from death to life 
Lillian talked briefly uh, using a very good analogy um, about uh, in in relation to the baptistry behind myself. Um, You know, baptism, the reason why as Baptists we do baptism is because of what it symbolises, spiritual and otherwise. We go down into the water, we die to self, but then we don't stay there, evidently. We then rise back up. If you, if you will, we we go through the cross and we die to our old sinful, wicked, evil self, enter the tomb, the water, and then from the water we spring forth into glorious life, into new life, into uh, you know as a new creation. Um, and it is you know it's very symbolic of, of what will happen in the last days and it is a beautiful thing finally I want to talk about the implications that the resurrection on at least a, uh, I don't want to say more personal but at least more uh, more daily sort of happening level I mean I, I could stand up here for hours upon hours upon end and tell you about everything to do with the resurrection um, and hopefully someone would boot me off after at least three hours um, but these three major points I want to make to you here is this we can have resolute confidence that we have indeed inherited eternal life we can have an unwavering unchanging unshakable confidence that not only we will inherit eternal life in the future but also at the same time we have inherited it now eternal life starts in this life we have been born into a life of joy we have been born into that eternal relationship now of course we we haven't met the Lord Jesus face to face but we have a relationship with him and we know him we know him we know the, the spiritual blessings that, that he brings to us. The confidence and the security that, that he brings to us that we have been cleared of guilt and of shame. We can have that resolute confidence because Jesus rose. That's the first implication. Secondly, we have reliable assurance that he shall one day return. As I mentioned earlier, if Jesus died and stayed dead he's just another person if Jesus died and, and stayed dead forget forget resurrection of any kind it's stupid if that were the case but we have that reliable assurance that he will return one day and he won't return um, oh sorry he won't come to earth like he did the first time, for that matter. He won't come as a little baby in a manger without a place to sleep. He needed to do that to fulfill thousands of years' worth of prophecy. But he will come and he will stampede out of heaven on a white horse. If you want to, if you want to read in a bit more detail how he will come, you'll uh, read, I think it's about Re- Revelation 19, I'm going to say probably like uh, verse 11 onwards he will come as a triumphant conquering king 
you know, Revelation 19 says that with his very words, using the imagery of a two-edged sword, but it's talking about his words, with his very words, he will strike down the nations. His garment shall be draped in the blood of his enemies. He won't come back to play games. He won't be coming back to uh, seek and save the lost. He won't be coming back to heal the sick and and uh, you know cure lepers. He will be coming back in full authority and full lordship and full kingship, which is rightfully his. It is he who went through the cross. It is he who went into the grave, and it is he who rose again. And it is he who right now is seated at the right hand of the Father. There's not one thing that happens, you know, that that Jesus isn't involved in, that Jesus isn't in control of. He was always in control before he came. Just because Jesus isn't mentioned by word or by name in the Old Testament did not mean that he wasn't there, that he wasn't present. We hear a lot about the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. To, without complicating it too much, it's a it's a it's a shadow or a phrase, a biblical phrase of when you actually put two and two together of Jesus, not an incarnate Jesus, but Jesus nonetheless. It was Jesus who created the world. It was Jesus who, you know, breathed life into Adam and Eve. It was Jesus who was there when, you know, when Israel came out of Egypt. It was Jesus who helped them cross the Red Sea. It was Jesus who took Joshua into the Promised Land. And on we go. And it shall be Jesus, the Lord of all the universe, who shall return in all power and might. And I can't wait for that day. It will be a blessed day. Finally, we have real hope of future glorification. Glorification uh, is the term... Uh, you know, used to, to describe how we shall one day, in you know, when we are resurrected, you know, be glorified in our bodies. This this body will die and perish. You know, the the lustful and sinful flesh that we so unfortunately still cling to more often than we like will perish away. All sickness, spiritually and physically, will be wiped away. Every tear will be gone. And we will be returned to the state that we were originally created for in the first place. I mean, you, you try to you try to imagine what it will be like, and you can't actually do it. You can't do it. But all I can say is that I can't wait for that day. That day where we're given that glorified body and to even be able to like be in the presence of Christ to even be like in front of him without being just turned to ashes and oblivion but that is how we shall remain forever you see salvation is uh, in a very Hebrew way it's a past occurrence it's a present occurrence and it's a future occurrence Um, it's written in many places that we have been saved we are being saved and we will be saved for many of us, we were saved on a particular day when we repented and believed in the Lord Jesus called justification. We now are being are being saved. 
we are continually being moulded into the image and likeness of Jesus slower than I might like for me but nonetheless God is through trial and through other scenarios shaping my character to be more conformed to his will and his purposes as he is with, with many of you and then one day we shall be saved we'll be saved from the corruption both in and of ourselves and the corruption of this world of this fallen world when he creates the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and we shall reside there forevermore it's beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and because of such you know we can resolutely say he is risen he is risen indeed and may uh, may we not allow our thoughts and our contemplating of the resurrection and our gratitude for the resurrection remain on just this day um, you know may we we every single day that we wake up be mindful of the fact that we're even breathing because Jesus is raised from the dead you know my that is because Jesus rose from the dead and is risen from the dead it's an important thing to remember and I want you to thank God for it every morning you know I was only thinking today um, this might sound a bit silly but I'll make a theological point out of it like I usually do with most things um, uh, I was having a drink of water um, at some point today and for whatever particular, I sort of just paused and looked at it and I was like thank you thank you I can drink this water because you rose from the dead for me when I did everything in my power to not deserve it. May we experience that new life and that resurrection spiritually here and may we experience it forever. For those of you in here who don't know what I'm talking about, who haven't experienced the new life that's found in Christ, I'm telling you, you are missing out on an eternity's worth of bliss and joy. If you want to know more about it, you can talk to myself, talk to Graham, other elders who are here. May have a blessed week and thank God that he raised his son. Well, I will pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, in particular right now for this opportunity to come into your house. Um, we acknowledge that uh, it is only by your power and grace and mercy that we are even able to do such a thing. Lord, we thank you so much for it. No matter what happens, Lord, may we always keep at the forefront of our minds what you did on that blessed day when you rose from the dead, when you rose into glorious life. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. There is no name under heaven by which man must be saved. Father, we boldly proclaim that. We boldly proclaim that. Lord, may your resurrection power be ever present in our lives on a daily basis. 
Lord, may other people see in us that new life to which you have brought us into by your power. Lord, may we, for all of our days, tell people about what you did and what you are doing and what you shall do. The fact that you rose from the dead to save souls, that today you are saving souls, and that in the end, when all is done, you shall save your children.